It's a film with three brains. 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 Oh my god, you guys are freaks. It's Christmas Eve in LA. California. Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. I missed you. Instead, he's going to have to save her. He's an easy guy to like. Come out to the coast. We'll get together, have a few laughs. And a hard man to kill. Bruce Willis. Die hard. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? Hello and welcome to the film with three brains. This is Sam in San Francisco. Hey, this is Sean in Chicago. <laughs> and this is Cohen in Maplewood, New Jersey. And today we are discussing the movie Die Hard, which if you haven't heard of, boy, this review is for you. Um, <laughs> the 1988 breakout film role for then TV star... Uh, Bruce Willis, and also the breakout film role for uh, Alan Rickman. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, uh, before I get into what you guys think, I'll just give people a really quick rundown in case you know they really did never see this. Yeah. So this is a uh, Bruce Willis stars as a New York cop who is out to Los Angeles to visit his wife, who he's been apart from for six months. She's got a job at a big fancy uh, cor uh, Japanese corporation and they're having their holiday party in their skyscraper. Lo and behold, uh, uh, Alan Rickman leads a group of uh, mostly German um, uh, uh, terrorists slash thieves uh, to rob the bank, the safe, I mean, of the uh, skyscraper. They take everyone hostage except Bruce. He's the unknown and he uh, fights them, uh, blows up the building somewhat. Just a fly and anyway. And saves the day. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. Yeah, did you That's, did you find it as awesome? You said you hadn't seen it very much. I had not seen this in over twenty years. Really? That's yeah. surprising. Huh? Yeah. So, I mean, I might have seen bits and parts of it, but I don't even know where. But I seriously had not watched this movie in twenty years. There were whole sections of it that I didn't really remember. Like there was a lot of the movie I did remember, like especially a lot of the stupid little quotes. Um, but. I still loved it. I, I think this this movie is made so well, in, in my opinion. I, I think it's just great. <laughs> <laughs> Should I go next or you want to jump sure. in? Okay. No, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is great. I think um, I had sort of a renaissance with it in the last little while, probably since I've been, well, I don't know. I just, just more in recent times, I've watched it a bit more. And I think one of those early times I remember thinking, yeah, like the beginning, I don't remember clearly at all. Um, but that's just kind of how it goes with older movies that you've seen, especially on TV or just in passing. You see the middle, you see the end, especially if you like, you know, if it's a movie like this and you just can't not watch it and you just keep watching it from halfway through, you're you're going to miss the beginning a lot. And so I there are, I think there are very few times I've watched it start to finish. 
Um, but I enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed the experience of watching it start to finish, even though it's over two hours long. Um, because, I mean, what's not to like? I mean, I think a lot of the buildup and a lot of the smaller scenes really give the rest of it weight. Because if it was just explosions and running around, it would be just a B movie. But I think yeah. it's more than that. Totally. I think you could argue that's probably one of the most influential action films ever made. I yeah. agree. I think. I this mean, is how a many times have you heard? Point. Oh, you know, it's Die Hard into this. It's Die Hard into that. It's Die Hard into you know. I mean, until the Matrix, I feel like no other action movie had such a, a lasting impact on everything that came after. Mm-hmm. It's I'm, it's so and it's so damn good. It's so well written. Yeah. You know, and Bruce Willis is perfect for it. And it, you know, yeah. the, the it's a, a sort of a long and storied. Um, uh, journey for this movie from novel to screen and, and the number of sure number of people who were either offered the role and turned it down or were attached to it at one point is, is astronomical. It's crazy how many people <laughs> they looked at for this character. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I remember, I remember, I remember when it, in 1988 and seeing the trailer and, and thinking, wow, that looks awesome. But Bruce Willis, <laughs> you know, the, the funny dude from Moonlighting. <laughs> right. Mm. This may be a bit early for this, but Colin, do you remember seeing Blind Date in the theater? I do. I think I probably went with you then. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I would imagine. But that was the extent of his, I mean, he. I think there was something that came out just before Die Hard, but when they cast him, he really only had Blind Date. Yeah, which I which think is, is a pretty amazing. funny movie, actually. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, in retrospect, it's not that bad. <laughs> but when we when we saw it, it was like, eh, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All I remember is him slipping on a golf ball or something and flying up in the air. That's pretty much it. That's my memory of that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's I can't in there. remember much of it at all. Well, I, just, I just remember the guys yelling at everyone and the dogs are barking and he goes, and somebody shoot the dogs. And then five <laughs> minutes later, you hear a gunshot and yelp. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> Okay, I want yeah. to circle back to yeah. what you said about so many people were potentially involved. Yeah. So the things, the the list that I read of the people who declined the role of John McClane, <laughs> Richard Gere, the good thing, Sylvester yeah. Stallone would have been a totally different movie, Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Arnold, <laughs> Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. Robert De Niro, Charles Bronson, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson <laughs> would have been a very different movie. It's bubblegum, uh, right. maybe a <laughs> toothpick and a paperclip. Um, and uh, Michael Madsen, which would have totally changed his uh, life. Oh, yeah. Um, were all considered but declined the role. Yeah. That's crazy. And don't forget the contractually obligated uh, offering to Frank Sinatra. Yeah. <laughs> Just very funny. I mean, it's, it's, you know, mi- minimally awesome. important, but yeah, I guess because of the detective. Yeah. I mean, until looking this up now, I had never looked into it, but I mean, the fact that it's based on a novel that pretty much outlines the entire plot. I mean, it's quite different from what I, from the summary of it, but, but that, you know, yeah, written it is by an actual I, re- cop I read and, the book a while back. I just read nothing last forever. I never read the detective or I don't know if there's any others in this series, but 
Yeah, it's very different. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they made what, was, they made the detective with Frank Sinatra and was it the sixties or something? Yeah, sixty six. I don't know. And then not. but then Nothing Lasts Forever was started to be developed as a film not long after that. That's how long Die Hard was been in development in some manner. Yeah, in the seventies. Evolving over time into what it became. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I, you know, you, when you read about how many things had to change, you realize how many opportunities that had to go wrong. Yeah. Like it could have gone wrong so many different sure. ways. And it, it was, you know, people changing their mind or people not taking roles and all this stuff. And then uh, I thought one of the things that was fascinating too, because this, to me, that one of the turning points is that before this, you're watching Predator, um, you know, Commando, uh, you're watching these other 80s, you know, Rambo, and Rambo's a little different in the, in the, the Rambo character has, has character, has something to him. Mm-hmm. But a lot, a lot of the Arnold movies, you know, we, we love Predator, but they're not telling you anything about these guys. Like, sure. there's no other story going on. Yeah. And this was the first movie, like, you got to know kind of like who these other characters were. Mm-hmm. And actually like them, and 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 it wasn't, yeah. you know, ham-handed that the way they they solved their problems or even addressed it or whatever. Like mm-hmm. the the relationship with his wife thing wasn't overdone. The the um uh the th- the even thing the about Argyle. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, go ahead. No, totally. Ar- Argyle is one of them, and then um uh. Um, I have a I have a Al. nitpick. I have a nitpick with Argyle when when we get to the nit, the nitpicking. Okay, well then we know that will happen because <laughs> well, that's like ninety percent gonna... of all of our <laughs> things. But let me finish I'm support this Sam's point, which is Argyle. Would, it would have been dumb if he had just shot up the elevator shaft and helped out in some heroic way. It was like he was on the fringe. <laughs> but that would have made it worse. Like it was perfect the way he, he yeah. wo- got woven right. into it. Anyway, go ahead. Right. So, and then Al Powell, you know, like the, that whole right. thing, you get to know his story, but did you, the coincidence, I mean, that all of that extra stuff that helped make this movie, the transition between like, like this guys just go and shoot each other thing to an actual, like a little more of a story to it. Like this, this was, this was, that was one of the things that really made this different was also just be by coincidence by, or by accident almost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bruce Willis was supposed to be shooting moonlighting. He was contract, his contract was that he was supposed to be there. And so that because of his obligation to moonlighting, they beefed up the script on all these side characters. They gave him more personality. They gave him yeah. more screen time. And that, that was, you know, in hindsight, it looks like it was, you know, if you don't know that it was by accident, it's genius. It's what makes this movie. Mm-hmm. And you know that that's the turning point for and you not for for all the action movies the the marvel movies all these things where they've they've added all this other stuff in you know um you know we talked about mm-hmm. tim burton doing you know having a more of a story with the with with uh, batman and having the flaws and all that I, you know the, the two of them together i think totally changed the way an action movie's done and I watching it this time too. I still loved it. I was like, you know what? Even going back, it's it's not cheesy or anything. And you're you're 
you're excited with each one of their endings. You know, you're, ex you're excited yeah. with Argyles, you're ex even though it's so <laughs> little. You're excited with, you know, Sergeant Powell's. It's, you know, I would um to, to just to add to your point, um, like creating a, a layered a layered hero who's just like a regular guy. Um, and a certain extent was was sort of mirror, Die Hard was a little bit mirrored in um, Lethal Weapon in that regard. I feel like Lethal Weapon did a pretty good job of presenting a dude who's not a superhero. He's deeply, deeply flawed, and that and it and in Lethal Weapon's case, it's the flaw that sort of gives him his power as it is. You know, talking about Danny like, Lover, right? No, <laughs> 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 you know, the idea of this man who's lost everything. And that's what makes him such so good at what he does because he doesn't care anymore. You know, mm -hmm. like he doesn't have anything left to live for except the job. Yeah. So anyway, you know, like that's, you know, providing sort of the great thing about Die Hard is Die Hard is about a guy who just all he wants is like all he wants is to for someone to help him. You know, like, can someone yeah. please just come help me here? <laughs> that's what he's trying to do the whole time. He wants no part of this. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's just like someone please. <laughs> Come help me. This sucks, man. This fucking sucks. And no one's helping. <laughs> yeah. I love how insulting awesome. he is. He's like, who's driving this car? Stevie Wonder? And he's like just yelling at everybody. Right. He's, he's got a monologue and he's angry. You know, he's yeah. barefoot. I love Does that he's barefoot. Like a pizza? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently that is in the novel. I was surprised by that. Um, I don't remember that. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. And, you know, the, I mean, the great thing about this is the villain is so great. You know, Alan Rickman, Hans Gruber is so good. Yeah. And and when you think about some of the best, you know, sort of hero villain movies, if, if the villain sucks or is weak or isn't interesting, it just the whole thing falls apart. You know, it's part yeah. of the reason why everyone loves the Dark Knight so much is because Heath Ledger was such a great Joker. Yeah. You know, and Alan Rickman was that he was such a great villain. He's the perfect villain, the perfect foil to Bruce Willis's John McClane. Yeah. And then and then you have like a whole nother batch of, quote, I wouldn't say villains, but sort of obstacles on the ground besides Al Powell. And, you know, first, <laughs> first uh, the chief, uh, whatever, <laughs> the, chief. the chief police or whoever, you know, <laughs> Dwayne Robinson. Wayne. Yeah. And then I love it, the fact that him and Al Powell are like at odds. But then the FBI shows up and now they have a common enemy, you know, and <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> is raised to a new level. Yeah. And suddenly he seems like he's got it all together because the FBI is such dimwit morons. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah. So all these, all these different layers, you know, really, really come together in a way that probably, you know, it, it's, it's kind of amazing. Everything works as well as it does. Yeah. And part of it's casting. You know, the cast is so good. Yeah, Roger, Roger Ebert didn't like this movie. And he, one of his specific complaints was that he thought <laughs> good old Roger Robinson yeah. Was, yeah. Was, was a pointless character. Sure. But <clears throat> as stupid as he is, I think he does serve a point. And, and I, he also has some of the quotes that, yeah. For me, you remember forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, he's, he's the guy you yell ones. at for when you're sitting in the theater. You're like, who's this moron? Like, which, you know, like you hate that guy almost as much as the right. anybody else. His, it, my my favorite two lines of his are when 
<laughs> the helicopter with the FBI guys blows up at the roof and he goes, well, I guess we're going to, or we're going to need a couple new FBI guys, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it at the end when Hans Gruber falls, he goes, oh, I hope that's not a hostage. That's <laughs> a great line. <laughs> it seems so dim-witted, but true. Like, it's right. like, this is exactly what he's thinking. No. Like, right. Like he's like, oh, this is going to look bad for me if that's a hot. Did, didn't we use that shot in something in our in our high school videos? So, of Hans of, Gruber falling. Uh, uh, when we yeah, when we had Icarus. Daedalus, uh, yeah, we, probably. When was pushed, it that uh, one or was it the one? Wasn't it? <laughs> I can't remember. We did though, right? I, so. I mean, yeah, he's I'm in a tower, sure right? It. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think I mentioned this. Um, I, I can't remember if I mentioned it during the actual recording, but I, I'll mention it again because I, even though I know most of our fans memorize every episode, sure. Um, but when we were talking about Alan Rickman in because he's one of our double ups um, in Galaxy mm-hmm. Quest, um, mm-hmm. one of my favorite little factoids about him is that they didn't like his acting for that fall, the, the face that he was making is falling. And so they, they filmed it a couple times. And then the director told the guy, the stunt man who was dropping him say, okay, this time drop him on two on the count of two instead of three, but then tell him. <laughs> so yeah. he drops him early. And so he gets the real expression of, 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 of like shock. <laughs> and so that's the cut they went with. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the first take. I think he, he did a take. And then I think John McTiernan had to do it himself just to prove that it was going to be okay. And they, and he had convinced Alan Rickman to do another one, but the first one was perfect because yeah, he, they dropped him on two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. There was a, an, the first stunt that Bruce does when he shows, actually the first thing he shot, I think was the jumping off the building mm-hmm. and um, wall of fire behind him, which is actually, you know, some five story building somewhere else. And he got close to the edge. He went, you know, landed on a, what do you call those giant balloon things? <laughs> An airbag? Airbag. There you Thank you. And they were afraid that, you know, they had killed him off in the first shot because he went so close to the, like, because the, ex- the explosion, the blast pushed him even further Pushed him, out. yeah. Yeah. So they got better as it went along, but it was a shaky start. Yeah. Whoops. Hmm. But yeah, I, there's, I mean, if there's a theme, I think it is collaboration because, um, you know, the, the writing is good because there are two majors screenwriters that that had different ideas and had different things that seemed to work really well mm-hmm. um my favorite i think is um shoot i don't have the screenwriters in front of me but the second the second guy Robert, there's, there's, Stewart, there's jeff stewart. stewart and steven uh de souza de souza um when he started tweaking things um they had to well i, I apparently somebody one of the producers overheard Alan Rickman doing an American accent. I don't know if that, how that exactly how that came about, but I know they heard him. They're like, Whoa, that was cool. And then they, they added this, they added that to the, hmm. the script and they shot that. Then they had to ret- retcon it because when Takagi is getting shot, he can't actually see Hans Gruber, you know, because otherwise that would, it wouldn't work. You know, like, so right. they had to like do a lot of that create creative. It had to be very fluid. Mm hmm. And like you, like Cohen said earlier, like it's kind of amazing it worked so well because yeah. there aren't any major flaws. There's there's some you know we'll get to some more nitpicking things, but sure, 
none of those major gaffes are, you know, things that would really take you out of it. No. And I love that scene too. I just love Hans Gruber being Bill Clay mm-hmm. and the way it's sort of like, you know, by, by now we should already know, we should, you know, like it's the face to face to face meeting. Like, like that, that wasn't even going to exist. They were going to, you know, like that's a, that's a big scene for me. You yeah. Know, right? Yeah. Critical scene. But anyway, yep. it's crazy. how stuff no works bullets. <laughs> what do you think? I'm fucking stupid. <laughs> you are saying. Ding. <laughs> yeah it's great <laughs> i like yeah. um i also like the um the little jabs that bruce Willis, uh, john mcclain sort of pokes at them you know just just to like get under their skin a little bit um like after he kills that the, the first guy i think it's the first guy he kills and he puts him on the chair in the elevator. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> he writes, ho, you know, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> but, you know, you know, it serves a point, though, too, because he's on the top of the elevator and he's listening. Yeah. You know, so he's trying to, like, poke them, make them react. So maybe they'll give him, you know, give something away or give him some information. <laughs> you know, he starts taking notes with a Sharpie on his arm. You know, I, I like those little details. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a real stunt that Bruce Willis did. Yeah. Somewhere on Wikipedia said he was actually on a, a working elevator at one point. Yep. I mean, it's it's crazy that, um, going back to Alan Rickman and how important he is, that all these studio types and, and you know, critics and everyone, well, but, but before, I think, before it was out, it was more like uh, people talking about Hans Gruber is so, so important Who's this, you know, like that, like it's too much. Like he's, he's too good of a villain and he's directing the narrative too much and all that stuff. And it's like, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, yeah, especially if you have sort of a reluctant everyday hero, you know, of course he's going to be driving the narrative. Of course the, the guy with the master plan is going to be the impetus of everything. And he has to be great. He doesn't, you know, like if, if he's a schmuck, I don't know who else was up for Alan Rickman's role, but yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I think the only one I read about was, um, I think Sam Neill turned it down. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the only one I, I, I think that I heard or read about, which is interesting. I mean, I, I, you know, there's a story I read about how, um, John McTiernan and Joel Silver, who produced it, I think were, saw, uh, saw Alan Rickman in a play. And mm-hmm. I forgot what play it was, but they saw him and were like, oh, geez, I think in there, like, we just found our Hans Gruber. Which is crazy. He'd never done a film before Die Hard. He'd done some small parts in television, and he was a yeah. theater guy, but then to just, you know. I read another thing that said he almost turned it down. Yeah. Because yeah, he, didn't, he had to be he, talked he, into he, it. He, yeah, because he didn't <laughs> want his first film role to be as a villain in an action movie. He thought it was silly. <laughs> right. Well, because at the time, that wasn't, it was, I mean, day class A or something, you know, it was like, who wants to be in an action movie? And now it's like, wow, shit, everybody wants to be in an action movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So uh, Robert Duvall, Gene Hackman, and Lawrence Fishburne were all considered for the role. Of Hans Gruber? Yeah. Hmm. What, what, what were the names again? Gene Hackman, Lawrence Fishburne. And Robert Duvall. Huh. <laughs> none of those, none I have of those a hard time picturing any of them. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. 
They were supposed to be, um, no, they were all considered for Al Powell's role. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, that makes Very more different. sense. That, yeah. But I don't know. Val Johnson, I thought it was, is perfect great. for it. Yeah. Yeah. He's. Yeah. So it was a Broadway version of Les Liaisons Dangerous. Dangerous. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, Rickman was Liaison. I don't know. Dangerous Liaisons, right? Yeah, the one that didn't John Malkovich do that? Yeah, yeah, they made a movie. Yeah. Okay, sorry, but that yeah, right. He was doing the the play, and he went. But yeah, I mean, he. Yeah, thank God someone talked him into it. Did you guys happen to catch the director of photography credit in the beginning on Die Hard? Mm, no. Zion no. DeBont. I mean, I know why. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he would he would go on later to direct um, Die Hard on a bus. Oh, speed. Speed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it said he he wasn't as concerned with getting pretty shots as he was with catching the action. And, sure. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think he did somehow there were, I, I remember a couple of shots that are like handhelds and stuff mm-hmm. a little bit toward the end, but overall, like it's still pretty, it's really great camera work. Yeah. It's still I, pretty I, good I, I, work. I always think of the, um, the scene when Bruce Willis, a jumps off the rooftop with the, the fire hose around his waist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a really cool shot when he jumps and it's slow-mo and the explosion. It's like one of the few times I can watch a, a, a hero with an explosion behind him and not groan. <laughs> you know, because usually it's like a hero walking away and the explosion behind him. It's such a cliche now. But in, in Die Hard, it works because he's jumping and you're like, holy shit. And then, you know, he, you know, and then that whole that whole sequence where he he stops and he's kicking the window and it won't Blood break. And he pushes it. off and you cut to the wide and he pulls out his gun and shoots it. And then he crashes through and lands. And then that rack focus to his yeah. face when the when it the the thing holding it falls the reel falls and yep. it, and he realizes he's about to be pulled out of the way like the whole sequence is so well shot yeah, yeah. I like his face at the very great. end when he when he frees <laughs> right. himself and then he's got his like closed mouth sort of <gasps> right you know, right the, that that face was perfect that was like mm-hmm. his best bit of acting the whole thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I, I was amazed yeah. too at how I was like holy shit. That when that final uh, when the vault finally opens because they cut the power and the stupid how fucking epic they made it feel a, a, a vault opening the door of a vault opening right you know there's like lens flares and shit and the mu- yeah. yeah the music's perfect <laughs> yeah. and and the look at all the villains faces including you know Alan Rickman it's just great mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's a vault opening guys and you're like it's amazing <laughs> it's so cool <laughs> Yeah. My uh my favorite camera shot is the one pointing up through the windshield as the body falls down. Oh yeah. That's great. I love that one. Like the tension because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's only a split second but you can see the you see the body before the crash. Yeah. And then yeah. you're like <gasps> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a good one. Yep. But he also says that um there wasn't a DuPont or I'm saying messing up what's his name? DuPont? But Jan DuPont. Jan DuPont. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said that there wasn't a lot of storyboarding and he liked it that way because he felt like that was part of his job. You know, like that was kind of what he's yeah. there to do is to sure to kind of roll with it and come up with new shots and stuff like that on the fly, mm-hmm. which is crazy. I mean, especially a fairly big budget for that day, I think 
20 25 35 million whatever it was yeah no and to ha- i mean to have all the fan all the hoopla about the promotion and not and having the building on him but not on the posters but not bruce willis's face for a while and and paying him five million apparently that was that was the talk of hollywood at the time yeah at the time i don't know because they compared it to like dustin hoffman getting five and a half for tootsie when no one had gotten more than like two or three right but that was you know uh six years before it's interesting because it's the gamble of it I mean, yeah, you could, if it was Arnold, it's crap. Yeah. Cohen was saying when we did Predator, like, well, you're fucking with the wrong guy. <laughs> and Commando, <laughs> the same thing. You're fucking with the wrong right. guy. You, we know he's a badass, but right. what happens when he's not a badass? That's more interesting. Yeah. yeah. Or at least he's and, a badass in the in the in ways that are expected, like right. cop things. He's not he's not super he's not superhuman. He's just he's determined. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With Arnold, it's, it becomes a very different movie. Yeah. Did not, you guys see? Not a great one in my mind. <laughs> no. Although I mean, look, it, it becomes Commando, and Commando's awesome, but Commando's its own thing. You know, it's just, it's very different. And clearly it's not as good as Die Hard. It's fun. Clearly. <laughs> but it's, yeah, you don't want to mix that, those genres. I mean, in. one of the writers of Die Hard wrote Commando. <laughs> oh, which one? Was it? DeSalzo. DeSalzo? Yeah, DeSalzo had his hands in so many of the action movies. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed to be more about... Um, Stewart, I guess. Jeb Stewart. Jeb Stewart and and is coming up with the because the the one interesting about thing about the book is that the Frank whatever his name is in the book or no sorry it's Joe Joe Leland yeah I think he's a he's a grandfather and his daughter is is Miss Genera hmm and right his daughter apparently has a drug problem and. Uh, you know, spoiler if anyone wants to read the book, but she ends up going out the window with Hans Gruber. Whoops. So it's pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, some of those changes were like pretty obvious, but important. Like, yeah, let's get, I mean, can you imagine without the, the marriage stuff, what kind of movie would this be? It'd be, it'd yeah. seem almost silly. Like the tension of it, the first scene with the two of them in the bathroom mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. The way yeah. that they're going that at each scene. other. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that like he is like, oh, nice, nice going, John. You know, he's kicking himself mm-hmm. afterward, and even though it seems obvious, it doesn't feel contrived. And I like, I like the way the the sort of um, the evolution of of their relationship through the sequels makes so much sense. Like in the second one, they're back together and happy. But the third one, they're separated and have been for quite some time. Yeah. By the fourth one, they're totally divorced. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't think audiences, when we, you know, when Prince, uh, saw, well, yeah, Die Hard 2, he still has to save his wife. But after that, yeah, we're like, okay, <laughs> come on. But I think yeah. that's the problem with that. You know, if you want to talk sequels, that 
um, you know, like like the Lethal Weapon franchise, if you go away from his crazy suicidal, I can, you know, yeah. uh, I've got nothing to lose, then it gets a little stale after two yeah. or three. Well, those movies became comedies. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's a good point, though. Like, the Lethal Weapon films veered away from what made the first one so good, and they became pretty bland and Die Hard is very what? similar they they Eventually steered away they from blind. the idea of Bruce Willis being an everyman you know an average Joe or just a regular cop stuck in an outrageous situation and they turned him into like a superhero by you know the fourth film definitely and the fifth film absolutely I mean they're those are just fucking garbage yeah but by the time you've done something three or four times you're you you're a pro you're taking it off right <laughs> i guess <laughs> you're like oh i did this i remember back in 88 nakatomi yeah. plaza the same thing i mean the second the second one is i guess an a, an admiral attempt to recreate the first one just at an airport i suppose i mean it's got its moment it's kind of fun yeah it's pretty instead quotable. of a dead wife he has a new girlfriend that's dead <laughs> you know but the third one is is the only one of all of them I think is actually legitimately good. We're talking and about I, Weapon Three. No, I'm talking about Die Hard oh, Three. Okay, sorry. I was like, what the hell? I was gonna say Die Hard Two is like it's that's like a pretty standard sequel where they kind of oh. recapture the magic of the first one. They just have it in a new location. Yeah, you yeah. know. The if I can interject one, real quick, yeah. that I saw the second one before it was picked. You know, like in passing like a month ago, I was shocked at how dog shit I found it. <laughs> just shocked i mean i don't know what wasn't working for me that time around but all this quirky stuff seemed dumb and all and and just everything it, you know the the longer it goes on the more you're like the more you're rolling your eyes you know like yeah the, yeah it, it's tough it to lost get through something. the only thing i remember are two quotes yeah stack them pack them and rack them <laughs> right <laughs> yeah right the plan's got the air traffic controller says that right yeah yeah and, <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then uh, I think he said, uh, oh, I'm going to misquote it. I think we're going to need some more body bags. <laughs> Isn't that one of the, uh, something like that? Yeah, there's body bags mentioned there, I think. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I, I remember Dennis, almost, Dennis Franz's, almost his entire speech. Yeah. When he, when they're He's confronting the best part of the movie. Yeah, he when really they're confronting is. each other in the office. <laughs> And I, I could probably, I, I, I don't know if I could recite it, the whole thing, but I could probably, I, I know I could come pretty damn close. <laughs> and I like, and that scene I like. Yeah. Although the, the, the punch, the, the joke at the end doesn't make any sense at all. When John McClane says, tell me something, which sets off the metal detectors first, the lead in your ass or the shit in your brains? Because <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why would, it? why what? would shit in your brain set off a set off a metal oh, detector yeah, right. but, but i mean it was <laughs> kind of funny metallic though shit. <laughs> metallic shit now <laughs> you're making me think of happy gilmore <laughs> you eat pieces of shit for breakfast yes. <laughs> no no <laughs> but then but then the third diehard is is good yeah that's a good one and it's the same director as the first one and that helps it ties into the first one a little bit you yeah, know the bad guy is it. hans Gruber's brother or whatever um but it's it like it's it's a pretty good movie like i enjoy it and it takes place in new york he's from new york whatever yeah and um, and uh, samuel jackson is a, is a, is yeah. a nice sort of fresh addition zeus is the one getting dragged into it instead of mclean yeah. yeah yeah so it's sort of a buddy cop movie even though one of them's not a cop and yeah 
And yeah. you know, maybe part oh. of the reason I think it works is because it wasn't a die. It wasn't written as a diehard film. It was. It was a completely separate story. It was a screenplay that the studio bought. Right. And they were looking to make a new diehard movie, and they they're like, "Well, we got this. Let's just change his name." You know, basically, and a few details about the villains and shit. I remember you talking about the plot. Um, the the government being worried about the the plot because it was so yeah. believable. Yeah, I read this interesting article about. Um, I can't remember his name, the screenwriter, whose name I can't remember right now. Um, after the movie came out, he was visited by a couple of FBI agents um, who were asking him questions about the evolution of the screenplay and how he came up with the idea. Because when the movie came out and they, the, someone in the FBI saw it, they found the concept so utterly believable and doable that they were afraid that someone maybe had been planning to do it. Mm-hmm. I and they wanted to before. investigate it and figure out if that's true. <laughs> Jonathan yeah. Hensley. That's the that's the guy's name who wrote it. The third okay. one. I think. Which to me is absolutely fascinating. And what a great what a great compliment to pay the writer. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like your scenario you came up with it was so spot on believable that the FBI <laughs> decided to have a little chat with you. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think that that idea, though, of taking another book and, and making it into, the, you know, the sequel, like putting your, your, your hero into that thing is actually a really good idea. Like, I think that that's, that's something that other people I would think would gravitate towards. Yeah. Because they, when someone's thought out everything, I, I you know the thing that it seems like is the flaw of so many sequels is is what you said is it's the first movie rehashed yeah they're not not breaking any new ground whereas if someone has already thought out of a plot that look you're just going to switch this person into into the role of the main character you're going to have all those other elements um that that make it special you know that someone's really thought out the whole thing yeah um and I don't know, there's not a lot of examples of that, but I remember, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean four, um, the stranger ties one. Uh, um, sure. Is, <laughs> I don't even know if I saw that one. I think, I, I think I say it. Go on. Somebody's I'm not going to say it's great, but it's different and it's weird. Oh and it's yeah. He washes up on this for the fountain of youth. Yes. And there's little crabs that are like stones. Right. So yeah. the thing is, is Sorry. that, on Stranger Tides is a book written by Tim Powers in the 1980s. Oh. It's a weird book. And it's I wouldn't say it's a great book. It has a little bit of a... One of my annoying like pet peeves is when the main character is dragged forward too much instead of instead of taking his own initiative. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's okay to do that for a while, but at some point, it, some points it feels... It's part of the reason I hate, I hate Forrest Gump. Right. So there's, there's, there's enough of that in the book that you're like, oh, this guy's getting pulled into this and he keeps getting pulled forward rather than being like, take, you know, he doesn't have, you don't have to be, let's be a genius or solve things yourself all the time or, or, or do fantastic things. But it almost seems like, like if John McClane would have went and hid in a closet for an hour and a half and hoped the cops showed up, <laughs> you'd be like, okay, this, this isn't, this isn't the guy I want to root for anymore. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
But anyway, it was it was an interesting thing. It's totally different than the other movies. You know, it, it has a lot of the, you know, they they changed it. They changed the book. But it, at the same time, you're like, where did this come from? And if you didn't read the book in the 80s, there's no way you'd know it. But yeah, that's the only other example I could think of where they did that. And but I I, I gotta think that there's that that would be used. I mean. For all the people in the industry who are listening to us, which is like almost everyone, all I'm them, just yeah. putting it out there. <laughs> almost every, all of them, yeah. <laughs> you out there, be brave. <laughs> Don't fall in sequel traps. Write your own shit. Yeah. Be I'm sure they've never th- heard that before. Yeah, right. But they continue to ignore <laughs> it. That's the amazing thing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, apropos Speaking of nothing. Speaking of which. Oh, go ahead. Um, no segue whatsoever. We do have a triple up. Okay. We have a lot of double ups. Is it one of the, is it a big one? It's not an out. I don't say it's or... big. Uh, but, no, let's, let's hear your double ups. Well, maybe there's, maybe I mean, Al Long mm-hmm. is in big trouble in little China. This and yep. And is there, and, oh, I and forgot what... action Jackson. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Action Jackson. Right. Oh, yeah. right. Jeez. I mean, Action Jackson was like a. Yeah, that was like yeah. a casting call straight from Die yeah, Hard. Yeah, just and, from just from and, Action Jackson, we've got Al Long, we got Hayden, right? The big Huey Lewis guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Huey Lewis hanging on steroids, and we have uh, Davi, right? Robert, what's his name? The FBI guy. Uh, Robert Davi. Yeah. Robert Davi is yeah. his friend in Action Jackson. Yeah. Oh, right, right. So right. that's three yeah. just from that. Yep. What else we got? <laughs> and you, oh, so that was your triple up. Okay. Uh, yeah. Argyle from, oh, sorry, four. Argyle also from Action Jackson. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, speaking of good quotes, I don't know why this made, I laughed out loud watching this the other night when, um, Special Agent Johnson and Special Agent Johnson are in the helicopter and they're flying low on the deck and, <laughs> and the one goes the other, just like whatever Saigon, <laughs> right? A slick and he goes, I was in I was in grade school, dickhead. <laughs> I I laughed out loud. My wife kinda looked at me funny. I was like, oh, man, it's funny. It's a like grade school dickhead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, someone pointed out that was sort of like the anti like a lot of um you know your Rambo, your your First Blood kind of stuff is a lot of it is dealing with Vietnam and and mm-hmm. shit like that. And this one's this one's planting its flag in in um, you know America, sort of being back on track or something. You know, it's like it's almost like we're. I mean, I, don't, I mean, there is a lot of anti-corporate and anti. Uh, you know, you you could even argue anti-immigrant stuff. You know, or um, mm-hmm. but really it's just about down home American values yeah. and shit, you know? So, sure. yeah, you're right. I mean, Vietnam definitely reverberated throughout the eighties and all the action movies for the most part, even, even lethal weapon, mm-hmm. certainly first blood, of course. And, <laughs> and don't uh, forget but, house <laughs> and, and house. Yeah. And yeah. And you know, Chuck Norris, the missing in action movies. Yeah. You know, Ugh, all, that's half his career. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It, it, it is kind of refreshing that we don't have to sort of see all these people's 
you know, backstory having to do with that. Yeah. And along those lines, I mean, it's a very, uh, rah, rah eighties, um, movie that <laughs> coincides with Ronald Reagan in real life as he took over his office when he left, uh, when he left the Oval Office, he took up an office in Nagatomi or the Fox Plaza building. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was a little rough shot at the beginning. At one point he was answering his own phones, Ronald Reagan's <laughs> office, Ronald Reagan speaking, you know, like, <laughs> which is crazy. And he was there for like 10 years. And then anyway, I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but the feel of it seems to fit, you know? Yeah. So, you know, there, there is the sort of ongoing debate of whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah. We better talk, talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this of course, one, it's a Christmas music. That's why I feel too. I'm like, well, obviously, Ooh, it is. it's the best one. Okay, yeah. all right, all right. So I'll I'll, I'll play I'll, devil's and, advocate if you want me to. But I, well, let me just tell you why. <laughs> and I'll and the and this is the first time I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Die Hard start to finish in, in quite a few years, but I have seen it start to finish a lot of times. But this was the first time I ever noticed how prevalent music Christmas music is woven throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cleverly I mean, it's, too. it's constant almost. It's it's used in some way, and, and, and oftentimes it is the music focus completely, most of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to discount that, you know, when it, 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 you know, music is such a big part of a film, and it provides the, you know, oftentimes the tone and, 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 and sort of the pacing of it and, and so much more, you know, like to, to, to rely on Christmas music to propel an action film through a lot of it like how can it not be a christmas movie i mean it takes place on christmas eve for christ's sake it's a christmas party you know (laughs) like just because it's an action movie doesn't make it any less a christmas film yeah although i suppose they do not deal in christmas themes but whatever (laughs) yeah all right devil's advocate okay well on record i'll say I, i have no problem with it being a christmas movie but there is but off record, but off, well, I mean, for, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, they, it is in the summer, you know, it was released in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure thematically how they, you know, the because mu- the music, I just read about, um, Michael Kamen, the, the, uh, what do you call him? Composer, um, mm-hmm. sort of weaving these things in as part of the villain story. Like, like there's certain themes that come in. I mean, you talked about Beethoven's ninth and all the classical mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but there's right before the quarterback is toast and the, and the RV and all that stuff <laughs> right before that, um, they lock down. And then the first bit of music goes like, and I was like, why, why mm-hmm. does that sound so familiar? And then it sort of gets a little sinister after that. Somewhere in the notes, it says that that was singing in the rain. Really? And I was like, Oh my God, it is singing in the rain. What what hmm. the hell is that doing in there? And then I I don't know. Is that Frank Sinatra? Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Um, so that's not a Christmas element. But yeah, I mean, it really comes down to what you consider appropriate, uh, like a holiday sort of what you watch it around the holidays, or it gives you that feel. Um, versus, you know, this is a movie you can watch any time of year. Mm-hmm. And really, you. I mean, you can watch this any time of year as we are right now. We're not, it has nothing to do with the time of year. It has more to do with summer than it does to do with Christmas. So, but I think but, that's what I yeah. th- how my feelings in Christmas in general. What? Like, I'd rather, 
I'd rather have it be a little more in the background. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I applaud it for that. Like, it, even if it is a Christmas movie, it's a very clever one, you know, <laughs> making the whole Christmas theme take a back seat to everything else that's going on. That's genius. <laughs> but I, yeah, the so it really comes down to, do you think it was this tended as a Christmas? I, I did read that Joel Silver predicted it would be. He said it. he thought it would be you know, for years to come would be sort of recognized as a, as a Christmas movie. So I'm like, oh, all right, well, that seems legit. Yeah. <laughs> so are people really arguing this? They have. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Sure. Well, people will argue anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people online who don't have anything better to do than bitch about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. The earth is flat and Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Right. <laughs> and you have like the true trues, the false falses, the true falses, and the false trues. That's four different sides to the same arguments. Mm-hmm. You just blew my uh, mind. I know. I'm gonna be up all night thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can. So, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say. Uh, uh, so, do you, what are your what are your criticisms? What don't you like? They're pretty small. Mine are pretty minor for the most part. I have one. I have one. Lar I have one largest his, one. His his uh, American accent. He drops his what? Oh, it's not perfect. He drops his American accent when he's trying to, pretending to be Bill Clay. Yeah. He does a really good American accent for like the first five sentences, mm -hmm. and then he slips a little, and then he goes back. And I don't know if it's in person or intentional or not, but I was like. If it's intention, if they meant to put that in, that's why Bruce Willis huh. knew to. But if you listen to it, he slips. Well, I, I don't think it matters one so, way or the other because Bruce Willis was already. Yeah. No, I know, but I, I just, I just suspicious. wanted to like. Neither of them acknowledge it at all. Like, there's no like, quick, yeah. like eyebrow raise or anything. There's nothing. Right. So I was like, is it on purpose is whatever. Yeah. I don't know. That's a flaw, but it, but the, like it was the first time that ever stuck out to me. You know, I, I read, I, like I, said, I read a thing that said, um, John McTiernan, the director wasn't entirely happy with John, Alan Rickman's American accent in that scene. Yes. Hmm. Uh, in the final yeah. scene, he wasn't too, he wasn't, he didn't feel like it was a, it was a hundred as good as it could have been. So maybe that's why, maybe that's exactly what you're saying is maybe I think Gordon, dropped it inadvertently yeah. for a second and they just the best they had in the takes, you know? Well, didn't Gordon and silver laugh a lot and he, so he figured, Oh, it must be good. Maybe we should keep this. <laughs> I think that's what I read is yeah. that, you know, that they, somebody had a fan in that and whatever that was. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think it's perfect because even if he does drop it, that makes more sense, not less, you know, or or that he's struck. I mean, because I don't even if you want to drill down, I don't even know which part you're talking about, because I the when I listened to it just now, I, I heard when he says, you know, and he sounds English when he says it for some reason, even though it sounds like how can you mess up? You know, it sounds like the most American thing ever. But the way he <laughs> says it sounded British to me. I was like, oh, he dropped it a little bit there. So maybe we'll, you know, Sam and I will have to take this conversation offline. We'll have to figure out what the hell it is. Yeah. Take it to the Thunderdome. <laughs> uh, my nitpick is, which I had never noticed till this time, when Ellis is 
Yeah, he's like, John, you know, how can you say that after all these years? And then he's got his Coke and he's drinking yeah. his Coke. <laughs> yeah. And then we hear shot. Uh, who's holding the walkie talkie button to talk? <laughs> it never occurred to me, but I was like, wait a minute. Either Hans has well, to be holding uh, it or well, here's somebody. What I, say. And no. I mean, we can ask, we can probably defer to our medical expert, but one could argue that perhaps when you're shot in the face, your muscles... Uh, contract. <laughs> and he keeps holding. You're assuming the he was shot in the face. We don't know where he's shot. I suppose. But it sounds good. I like shot in the face. That sounds good. <laughs> so, so Ellis is holding it, right? Yeah, he's holding it. So, right, he's talking to it. Yeah. So some some radios, CB radios, walkie-talkies, have uh, their talk button has a little thing where you push it up and it locks in. It locks. So you could you don't have to hold it for a long time. You just push it in and it stays on until you release it. I like okay. my explanation better. <laughs> I like them both. I like, I like the one. And, and, and true. I mean, you're going to hear the shot. He's going to, yeah. he's not going to be dead and drop it before the, before the shot happens. Yeah. The speed it, of sound's not that much slower than the speed of bullet when something's three feet away. Right. Yeah. It really only matters for Powell because, you know, he could probably <laughs> hear the shot. You know, all, all the hostages heard it. McLean can probably hear it from what two floors up or one floor up, and then, you know. But yeah, Powell has to hear it. Everyone has to hear it. F, all those people outside. So mm. whatever. And also, and along as we're talking about walkie-talkies, this time I heard Powell like say, "Oh, John McLean." He said his full name as they're chatting along, and it and made me remind myself like wait a minute did they switch channels did i miss something why like how can he say his name now after he was roy and it was right because it was i was before. thinking that too yeah the timing seemed weird did they switch they must have switched channels or something because you're right all of a sudden they're speaking as if no one else is listening yeah and no one mentions it like none of the bad guys seem to hear it yeah and i don't i don't remember a time where they're like oh let's switch to frequency bear 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 I think I noticed it because it was right before he discovers the picture and it's and it's Miss Mrs. McLean. He figures that mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And then and then he's yeah. And then the uh, the TV network is like, oh, we got his home address and all that shit. And then the cover's all completely blown. But yeah, yeah. in the middle there, it's like, wait a minute. But it would be that simple. It's switching channels. It's just that they didn't say it mm-hmm. or acknowledge it. Right. Is that is that all for your nitpicks? Those are my best ones, yeah. Yeah, I don't really have much. I have two big. I have one big one and one super minor one, and one of them maybe is an nitpick, but it's more of a question. So at the end, Argyle figures out something's up, right? And he's like, "Oh shit, what's going on?" And then he sees an ambulance, and he sees uh, Theo pretending yeah. to be a a uh, EMT or something. How does Argyle know that's not a real ambulance, <laughs> and that Theo isn't a real he's EMT? He just like he just automatically <laughs> assumes he's a fake and rams him and then punches him in the face and then he's all happy about well, it. Like, how did he know? He does know it's locked down because he can't get out. He is yeah, you know, and he sees it come out of the van. Yeah, he sees what? He sees the ambulance pull out of the back of the van out of their truck, out of the Pacific Courier truck. Right, still like that's, that's a, much, yeah, that's a pretty big leap to connect the dots there for Argyle. <laughs> That's to take that it. kind of definitive action. <laughs> He's a go-getter. He the van, is, he's a... Yeah, the, the truck they have in the beginning apparently is not big enough to hold that van. Um, 
and then I, apparently there's a shot in there some somewhere where it's sort of a, a empty van or something. I don't know. I think they cut that. Yeah. But just in the beginning, um, here's another tiny nitpick: is that when they back up that truck, the the lift gate drops down on its own almost, and you can see the guide wires pull, like let, lowering it. <laughs> and if anyone who's ever driven a truck will know that you that those style with the chain that mm-hmm. you lowered that by hand. You didn't, you know. There's a there's a uh, a lift gate sort of control that's just up and down, not not for the dropping of the gate itself. And it's so smooth the way they do it. He like backs up and the thing comes down and then they all stroll out all tough. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great scene. It it works really well. But if you're like, "Eh, it's a little too slick. (laughs) In addition to there should be an ambulance in there right behind him. But, you know, again, when, I mean, if they had so many balls up in the air like that, that they had to keep track of, it's amazing that that there's so few glitches. Yeah, I agree. But and then, so my other sort of nitpick is a, a much bigger one, actually. And then that's, how in the fucking hell did Carl get down from his chain hanging, make it out front <laughs> without being seen, cover himself in like a tarp so he could leap out and, you know, Powell could shoot him. Sam, you want to I take this like, one? <laughs> I've never liked that. From the so, first time I ever saw it, I always thought that was ridiculous. So at least the first time when he's hanging, when Bruce Willis sees him hanging, mm-hmm. he's got his hand up on that chain. Yeah. You know, so that if you were a strong-armed individual, at least you wouldn't necessarily have to be choking to death because he has his hand up under, you know, on his neck, on the chain on his neck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a little window there that he could still be alive. Yeah. Yeah. But when he's hanging the second time, when everyone's <laughs> running down... They shouldn't have showed him at all. They should have just showed everyone running down. Yeah. Yes. And not, not shown. I thought, I thought in watching it again, I thought they should have showed his hand twitch or like move. Because there's a shot where it's like you, he, his, him and his, or his hand is in the foreground and people are running down the stairs and he doesn't move. If he did just, if his hand would have just like turned and like lifted out of frame or something, I'd have thought, oh, okay. Yeah. But maybe that would have given it away or something. I don't know. I just, I've never believed it. That, that to me was too far of a stretch. Well, if we're, 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 we're kind of uh, going around about the more direct route, which is he's in a body bag. So someone presumed him dead. Oh, is he in a body bag? Is he? I is thought he was just covered with like a tarp or something. Oh, I no, assumed I it was a body bag. Just, I, just, I thought he had a, I thought he had like a trench coat on. Oh, <laughs> oh I got to go back and look. Uh, what sort of review is this? Bunch of crap. <laughs> that's all ruined. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> yeah, that's weird because I always thought it was the body bag, but I never really thought, oh, yeah, somebody must have presumed him dead, put him in a body bag, sealed him up, and then some point he gets up and shoots. Or, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Neither are satisfactory. Uh, a body bag? Yeah. It did look like a tarp. Hang on. I got the scene. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, oh, he's looking, I'm looking at it. I'm looking right. at it right now. You guys work on that. I'll bring up another one. Uh, yeah? Okay. I don't think there's any way to tell what it is exactly. <laughs> it's hard to tell. He just like, he throws something off. He stands up and throws something off his shoulders. It's yeah. not even over his head. Right. Hmm. Maybe they wanted it's, to do it that way. It was supposed to be, you're not supposed it's to It's one of those disaster blankets. Oh, <laughs> that they give people 
But he's the only, other than Theo, he's the only terrorist that would be alive at that point. Well, that's my point. He shouldn't be alive. He shouldn't he's be alive. Not. It's and impossible. But they shouldn't even be worried about him. Like they, you know, John and, and Holly just came out of the building for the first time. So that should be the, the focus, right? And like the, and all the hostages. Yeah. <laughs> not this terrorist that was up on the nearly <laughs> top floor. Like, it's funny when he stands up, he like bashes some bystander next to him with the gun and the person falls over. It's really funny. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that was on purpose. Ugh. All right. Well, I'll just quickly transition to a thing that I liked that was almost perfect. It was the use of the the sunset from the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty amazingly consistent. Yeah. Um, of course that there's there's sort of a matte uh, painting that they had a bunch of like moving lights and stuff on behind. Like mm-hmm. when she's in, she's talking on the phone, there's sort of a hazy sun behind her and you can tell it's kind of fake, but it's, you know, there's blinds in the way. So it's like, oh, it's pretty close, but that's the same angle. Like everything is sort of working out chronologically. You know, when he's in the limo from the airport, sun's still setting, you know, but, and then there's dusk. Then there's like a moment where the sun is, uh, there's a shot of it just touching the horizon almost. And then dusk. And then the first, like, exterior of the building is like dark and it would have been perfect except that it only like only a few moments had passed from because they're this is when they're taking over the building shoot a couple of guys all this shit's happening um and then it goes dark and it's like oh it's just a touch too fast like if you just had you Mm -hmm. know anyway but (laughs) until that moment i was like wow it's really just impressive that they got the sun right that's fucking hard to do yeah but I also, I mean, I guess that's why it's so perfect that they contain it from like the airport to the building and that's it. That's the whole movie. It was supposed to be in like three days. It, I don't yeah. know if that was the first, I think that was maybe Jeb Stewart was going to do it in three, three days. And it could, well, the, book down was, one. the book was three days and then the original, I think the first draft of the screenplay was three days. Okay. Or, an er, or early drafts were. Yeah. Yeah. I have, Sorry, I have one other nitpick I forgot about. Yeah. <laughs> It's really ridiculous. This movie's crap. <laughs> when when Bruce Willis first arrives at Nakatomi Plaza and he goes in and you know the he's got the touch screen and he's like cute toy. Mm-hmm. And then he, he and then, then they find Holly Janeiro and he goes in and as he's walking towards the elevator, one of the security guards is standing leaning his shoulder against the wall <laughs> and kind of looking down at his fingernails or something. I don't remember what he's looking at. And I thought it was a really strange way for a security guard to be standing like between two elevators leaning against the wall with his shoulder and his head really close to the wall looking down at his hand yeah this is the one where the, the hockey puck goes playing on his iPhone. no 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 this is before oh, all that before that one this is before the the bad guys show up he's an actual security guard <laughs> standing in the most awkward way ever <laughs> it's so weird he I looks like they... he looks like he should be a bad guy oh pretending to be a security guard but he's not i wonder he's if he just... really was because that was the fox building right they had to shoot all at night they couldn't explode too much um maybe they crashed one of the railings that they hit with the rv in that little scene they never <laughs> yeah. repaired <laughs> you know fox was awesome. fox you know greenlit the movie and used this building to great effect almost i mean i can't think of a lot of movies that have done done it quite so well with one one setting 
But yeah. then they also kind of had a lot to deal with, you know, shooting schedules. It's an actual building that there that was being worked on at the time. It was still under construction. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Sure. But, but I don't remember that security guard. I have to look for that one. Um, okay. I have one more nitpick. The, um, the first bad guy he encounters, the Carl. blonde guy, uh, after the um, he pulls a fire alarm and then they turn around yeah. and go back yeah. and the blonde guy shows up and he's like nobody's <laughs> been coming off yeah. my friend yeah yeah <laughs> and then Bruce Willis like gets the drop on him and uh, he says you won't shoot me you're a policeman you have rules and he goes yeah that's my captain keeps telling me and then he throws this weak ass bullshit elbow. like elbow yeah and for no reason whatsoever that does nothing other than allows the guy to sort of get the drop on him. I, I I don't know. All the action scenes are so well done that always bothered me. Like what the fuck was he doing? What what's he yeah. what is he trying to accomplish? Like he's got a gun on him. Yeah. Tie him up. If he doesn't want to shoot him, tie him up. What's this like eh Yeah, and he's on his side. He looked so like you know. he looked like he looked like um Edward Norton fight club when he punches him in the ear. <laughs> you know, like what are you doing? <laughs> He hit me in the ear. In the you know, ear. <laughs> was, that, was that bad? No, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was my, that's it. Yeah, that that one occurred to me too. Yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's pretty minor. Slightly slightly better. Also, yeah, yeah, I think Amy was was with me watching this time, and when he they rolled down the stairs, I'm like, "There's no way that killed him," and she's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> And also, like, he's a bigger dude than Bruce Willis. He's a taller dude. Like, how does he have smaller feet than Bruce Willis? You know? Re- I did think that. Rework it with a yeah. smaller, one of the smaller terrorists or dudes, you know, that would have small feet. Not this. Yeah. Not this towering lanky, man with size 13. <laughs> like, he's Scandinavian. Weird I know. Why, he was, he should have gone the other way. He should have tried to put German. his shoes on and been like, holy God, I can't wear these. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that reminds like me. like clown shoes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> flopping around he's like, I can't run in these he just takes them off it's ridiculous uh, so Carl is a double up also oh yeah um, anyone remember the movie he's no here's Wait. a giveaway he's Amish yeah he's in witness right? he's oh. in witness he's the he's the guy who the neighbor he's the like suitor the, yeah. yeah yeah the suitor yeah <laughs> Yeah, he's he's actually I don't I don't think he gets enough credit for his part in this whole thing because yeah, although he doesn't have a lot of lines, he has to be menacing. He yeah. has to do a lot. Um, like even the smil- like the the goofy first guy who um, is trying to clip the wires and 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 then he <laughs> yeah. comes through with his chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, the guy's like nine nine ah! nine nine. <laughs> you feel for the guy. You're like oh shit, he was just trying to do his job, and now you cut out a pile power lines and now the phone call dropped oh you screwed up yep I don't know <laughs> he didn't have to he didn't have to worry about it very long he didn't live very long so yeah hmm. alright so we ripped the shit out of this movie <laughs> yeah it's crap now it's, it's great, it's great movie. I didn't love it the fifth yeah. one's way better <laughs> I will say, I will say this, if, if there's any, um, you know, if there's any studio, whoever owns the rights to Die Hard right now, could you please just make one more movie? Call it 
old habits die hard and have John McClane in a building again in some capacity. That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Because the fifth one was dog shit. It was unwatchable dreck. It took place in Russia. Yes, I watched it. It's bad. The one before it was pretty bad too, but at least it had Timothy Oliphant in it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> which is, yes. it, which is, it, it's. I'm, I'm being facetious because he's he's totally miscast and terrible in it. The one role he's in, I really dislike him in, other than the Hitman one, which was terrible too. I'm not gonna pile on, but yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so they need to remake this movie. Yeah. <laughs> For the twentieth time, yeah, they should keep doing it. Just keep doing it. <laughs> You'll get it eventually. <laughs> yeah, we need. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're missing some. Like, no, no, they did that. Never mind. I, I was gonna say Die Hard on a golf, uh, like a mini golf course or something, but no, they kind of did that with uh, Beverly Hills Cop Three. <laughs> uh, yeah, Die Hard at a camp for boys with lower limb amputations. They did something like that, though. Not the oh. invitations part, but Toy Soldiers was sort of like that. Oh, you yeah, that movie? you're right. Yep. <laughs> hey, I got a question for Sam. When you moved to California, oh, yeah. did one of the first few people you encountered just come up to you and say Merry Christmas and kiss you on the cheek? Because <laughs> um, John McClane seems to be like, you know, <laughs> fucking California. So, yeah. <laughs> California. Um, let's see. I moved to California in May. So no one was really in the Christmas mood. Oh, mm. but it's okay for the movie? No, that does make sense. Never mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Never mind. That didn't work. Hmm. But you haven't um, you haven't encountered a lot of uh, free smooches, cheek, cheek no. kissing. No. Well, I mean, in, in Italian, I know a bunch of Italians. Yeah, it's more European. Kissing. Yeah, I got. It. I'm with you on that. <laughs> But I, yeah, I mean, we don't have to go into the politics and the, you know, the sort of the mo <laughs> yes, modern. This movie's all about the politics. Well, no, no, I mean, I was really surprised how much politics is in this. <laughs> like movie. the sex, the the gender roles, and you know, Miss Gennaro stuff, and the um, that's like the one brief instance of maybe some kind of sexual orientation mention. Um, but I, but I like, I guess, what I'm going with this is, I like that he is a New York cop. And you know what he thinks about these things with him actually having, not having to react to them in a real way with just a little smirk and, you know, a couple comments here and there. You, you get, you know yeah, what he's well, thinking. If you're going to really drill down on it though, then you're like, oh, you know, like he's one of these husbands who's intimidated by a, a wife who gets a better job and well, doesn't he is. know how I to support he her and all this stuff. Yeah. And you're like, you know, and... I mean, that's a real thing. It's a real thing to this day. But at, at the same time, I'd be like, that's awesome. She's got an, she's second in command. I'm going to go and retire and let her work. Right. Yeah. You know, I'll raise the kids. Great. But uh, <laughs> apparently a lot of guys don't think that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I thought that was weird. I was like, it's just not a sentiment that ever sits right with me, but it's, it's a real thing. So I, I don't hold it against the movie, even right. though it seems outdated. I thought of another nitpick. <laughs> that's great <laughs> so and let, you guys tell me if, if this is this is silly but I've always had a hard time believing that any human on the planet would ride in the front seat of a limo especially someone who clearly does not want to engage in conversation 
Right. Ask a lot of questions, Argyle. What, what uh, the fuck are you sitting in the front seat for then? <laughs> it's a limo. I sit think it's the, starting. No, no. It's says setting it's, up the stage. All I of get this that. stuff that I you're get talking that. about I get that. is setting up that he's sure. the fish out of water. Obviously. I know. I understand that. But come on. Yeah. It's his first time in a limo, but not his first time in a cab. Okay. Do you ride in the front seat of an Uber or Lyft? Only if well, you have full, to, because yeah. there's other people with you in the back. Yeah. Oh, I do all the time. Why? I hate feeling like I'm someone's my chauffeur. Uh-huh. But they are. <laughs> is this real evidence here? This is factual no, information. I mean, because when you're, you no, know, you, it, it changes. It's, it's a different dynamic. This works for John McClane. This is what he would be thinking. He's an everyman. Yeah. I guess works so. Works for me. I don't yeah. know. I hate sitting in the front seat in like a Lyft or an Uber. <laughs> I only do it when I have to because I'm with two other people or three uh, other people. I only sit in back when I have to. Like if their front seat's full of crap, I'm like, oh, I guess you want to sit back. Huh. Uh, Screw the Christmas yeah. controversy. This is the real meat and potatoes here. I don't know. I feel like, but then you're sitting next <laughs> front to Front seat stranger, or back seat. <laughs> someone you've never met before. You're sitting inches well, from. I don't let them kiss me on the cheek. Well, what? So what? That's <laughs> <laughs> what an airplane ride is. <laughs> Oh, that sucks too. If I could afford to be the only person on an airplane, I'd totally do it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, do you engage? Me, do you engage in conversation with the driver? If they want to talk, I talk. I've met some interesting people. People who wrote books. People who played, you know, professional baseball. All sorts of things. Like, especially the Uber and Lyft things. You know, because they're they're people who are doing something else and yeah. doing this. All that. All right. Oh, well, well, well. I don't think I don't think John McClain though shares your viewpoint. <laughs> when I was in Singapore, we got a ride from a Lyft or Uber driver, whichever it was, and we're talking to him. He's he's Indian, and it really it becomes obvious really quickly that this guy is well educated. And I'm like, so you know, tell me why you know why are you driving this? He's like, well, I'm writing a book and my main character is an Uber driver who gets caught up in this crazy situation. So I figured I'd drive for a couple months just to get some, you know, the feel mm-hmm. for it and, and really know what it's like. I'm like, oh, well, what, you know, what you, you did your other book do really well? Is that what you are, an author? He's like, no, no, I had a tech company back in India and I sold it because I, I got, you know, I wanted to live in Singapore in India just isn't progressive enough for me. So I sold my tech company and retired here. And now I write books. Hmm. And none of that would have happened if you just sit in the back and don't talk. Okay. And it's, I have a follow up fascinating. Question. I have a follow up. <laughs> yeah. In this scenario, were you sitting in the front seat? Yes, and V was in the back. So that doesn't strike you as weird <laughs> for you to have V sit in the back and you sit in the front in a stranger's car? Well, at least someone's in the back. Well, <laughs> we can't both sit up front. I know, but you can both sit back. <laughs> I don't know. No, we. So okay. So is, this, so is that standard operating procedure for you guys? She sits in the back no. and you sit in the front. No, there are definitely times we both. So the other thing is I have long legs. I don't know if you notice that. <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> I, like I share this melody as Actually, mine are kind of stubby, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> the front seat cranked all the way back with V behind the driver who is shorter is yeah. the ideal arrangement. <laughs> How long are these drives? <laughs> it's the legs. It's not the length of the drive. It's the length of the leg. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I got to come down on Sam's side here just because it makes it work for the movie. 
Well, that's my point, though, that it starts to feel a contrivance of the writer rather than a natural, organic right. happens to, you know, uh, uh, happening in a movie. He says specifically he, it's his first time in a limo. Yeah. yeah. So, right. Wouldn't you want to, like, check out the back? He's never yeah. been in one before. What's going on? Maybe there's some whiskey the or something. The subtext is like, I'm not that type of person. I know. I get it. Like, I, just don't, I just don't like it. I'm an everyday man <laughs> in an awkward, out of fish place, right. out of fish out of water place, and it's it's only going to ramp up from here. The limo <laughs> is the precursor. It's the preview to everything that's going to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do think the limo is important. I'm being serious here. I think you know Argyle and the whole relationship very important. Oh, yeah. I don't disagree with that. Because because then you care about Argyle too. I mm-hmm. don't disagree with that either. I just thought I think it was you just odd. like to nitpick. Well, I, I don't like. I'm going to go back and listen to our other episodes. I'm pretty sure you've nitpicked at other points too. <laughs> well, well, we'll keep this. We'll put a pin in this one for future movies. Let's see how many movies where people ride in front <laughs> in a limo. Or, or speaking of future movies, no, not a cab. It's different. This is, is a limo. Yeah, this true. is my point. It's a limo. But would it be any better <laughs> if it was a cab? I mean, what no, Sam it would be con- totally different. The point is the limo is a super comfortable, spacious pod away from the driver who he clearly doesn't want to talk to. <laughs> I agree. But Sam has been talking about Ubers and Lyfts and smaller cars. So, well, that's different. All right. We were, that was like, I, I would consider that a tangent. <laughs> it has very little bearing <laughs> on Die Hard. Oh my God. Like we this. made a tangent. Yeah. Who wants a tangent? <laughs> okay. So speaking of future movies. Yeah. What are we doing next? Uh, That's my pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, I decided I wanted to pick a movie from a uh, a sort of superstar who is now deceased, but in his day was sort of um, he's a big deal. Okay. And um, that would be Paul Newman. Mm. And there was a lot to choose from, although there there were a couple I would have picked if they hadn't. Uh, if they, they, but they were too old, and so, and there's, uh, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a, I don't know how familiar guys are with uh, Paul Newman's sort of filmography from the '80s, but is it political? Uh, sort of. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of is, but it's, 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 it's. Christ, I don't, I don't know. Uh, well, it's not, it's co- not the color of money it's, because it's, that's not it, political. What's that? It's not no, the color. It's not, of money. Co- it's not the color of money. Although I, I it was very. It was between that and this. What I, I did. I would assume that you would pick that. And one. it was very close. And the re- Oh, here's a good clue. The reason I picked this one is because it was written by David Mamet, ten years before Glengarry Glen Ross. Hmm. And, but it wasn't a play. It wasn't one of his plays. It was a book. He did a. He he adapted a book, and it's not. It's not a political drama, but it is a drama, and it's like a legal drama. The verdict? Oh. Yeah, that's it. Okay. I don't. It's. I don't really remember. Think I've that seen one. it. I I saw it when I was in college and I loved it. I remember loving it, like being blown away by how much I liked it. And I've never seen it since. And my memory of it has faded, other than remembering that I loved it. So I'm curious because I I actually can't really remember much about it at all, other than the very 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 basic plot. So. Is this uh, our first Paul right. Newman? We'll leave it at that. I think this is our first Paul Newman, right? Cool. Dig it. Actually, there was there was another one I considered that also had Bruce Willis in it. Uh, Paul Newman movie, but I, I, obviously I did not pick that one. 
Yeah. There was a Bruce Willis movie. Guess? What'd you say? Best? What'd you... No, I said, did you want us to guess another Bruce Willis movie? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We didn't, even, we didn't even go that route. We didn't even talk about, you know, is this his best movie, which it is. Right. We should have made this a double uh, episode like for all the stuff we could talk about in this movie. I mean, that's a good point. We should maybe we should touch about Bruce Willis's career in general because he never quite. Is it the best one? I think it's his best movie. Is there anything close? Sure. Well, I mean, yeah, you can look oh, at movies right. like we forgot Pulp our fiction. And he's 12 a double monkeys. up from Fifth Element as well. Yep. Oh right. Um. That's he's got good. he's got other movies that are good and movies that he's good in, but it's it's like a Bruce Willis vehicle. This I think this is the best. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. And and what about uh, um? And he has become and, and and then there's movies you know he's I mean he's got a lot he's got a lot of good movies, but he's got more bad movies i think at this point he's become sort of a parody of himself yeah you know, him and nicholas cage are making two three movies a year that no one's ever fucking heard of financed by some you know film company in in europe or wherever you know overseas yeah. they're paying him huge amount of money they're fairly low budget maybe there's one or two other recognizable actors in it it's directed by no one's anyone's ever heard of and never will again you know and it's all garbage and it's straight to streaming you know seems to make more sense for Nick Cage though because he didn't have I mean he didn't have a movie like this and Bruce Willis you could argue that this this kind of ruined him and you know kind of created the thing that the Bruce Willis we see now which is disinterested um because this was yeah I mean the the big he didn't do a lot of interviews around this movie he you know didn't want to talk about he wanted to let his acting speak for itself I think he felt like this was the movie he meant to do. And it did seem like the stars aligned, but you know, if it's the second or third movie that you've ever done, everything's going to kind of fall short after that. Yeah. For the most part, I think that's, I mean, if you, if you look at Bruce Willis's filmography, it's crazy. Starting with like 2013, 2012. I mean, he's got between three and five movies a year. From, I mean, no, you're going back from 2003 on. Mm. He's got at least three movies a year, almost every year. In 2006, he had like six movies come out. So 2012. In. What's that movie that's so like in, a in psychological who's, thriller it, and you see and a after Red, on... <laughs> Never And mind, after sorry. Red 2, it's all shit no one's ever heard of. Mortal Thoughts? You know? Um, oh, yeah, Mortal Thoughts. I think that's it. Okay, so this is definitely his best him movie. Yeah. But he's in a lot of movies that I would watch sure. over and over. Agree. More than I'd watch this over and over. Just as much as I like this, I 12 Monkeys, I love it. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. It's, it doesn't, that. you know. Sure. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Love yeah. it. But it's, it doesn't, you know, it's not just him. Yeah, that's not a Bruce um, Willis movie. Right. Uh, Looper. Looper's I good, yeah. I have like not watched one. in a long time, but love it. Um so it's you know, uh, Sixth Sense was a great mm-hmm. movie. Sure. Um, maybe we'll review it someday because I think that's doesn't that fall like in by yeah it's nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So one of my biggest my biggest guilty pleasures is Armageddon. I yes. love watching Armageddon. 
I think it's you've mentioned that before. Terrible. Yes. It is a terrible. <laughs> he mentions it every time. Chance he gets movie. <laughs> like it is the dumbest movie I've ever seen, and I love it. Oh, the one I was thinking of was mm-hmm. Color of Night, 1994. He's a. Uh, oh God. It's shit. Yeah, can, it's dog shit. Yeah. He has got full frontal nudity in there somewhere. Woo. Yeah. He's also in North. Oh, he's in North. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the narrator. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe but he's, you're, he's right. in it. He's in it throughout it, but you know. Yeah. Now that we're reviewing this, you know, uh, Twelve Monkeys, all these ones that we've that we definitely like. I mean, we're, I, I, and I'm not taking it back, but I think that he has come close to Die Hard. Yeah. But maybe just not. Not it just didn't just didn't nail it like he did in Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unbreakable's pretty good. Unbreakable's good. Yeah. Yeah, I can't really remember him having to do a lot of acting in Sixth Sense, except with um, Robin Wright, because uh, she's good. You know, she mm-hmm. makes everybody better. Yeah, it's you pretty know, good in Sin good. City. Yeah. All right, back to what we're doing. Okay. Next. We oh wait, we need, we know that. <laughs> yeah. So we're done. Right? Verdict. The verdict. If anyone's out there uh, curious, it's on Stars, or you got to rent it. I think. Okay. Right. Or Fubo TV, but that's a subscription, I think. All right. Sweet. This has been our best review. Yeah. One of our, our longest, too, I think. Oh, yeah. Freaking sure. longer like, than half the like, movies uh, we've watched. Yeah, Die Hard on Podcast is is great. <laughs> I mean, at the end of this, they could have been playing Die Hard along with it, and they'd be, like, almost to the end. Yeah. Right. Sure. <laughs> And that's probably what they should do is turn the sound down and just play Die Hard in the background with this. <laughs> just listen to this episode. Yeah. You know what I say to all Mystery that? Science Theater 3000. <laughs> yeah. You say, yippee Kaye, motherfucker. No, you say, yippee Kaye, melon farmer. Oh, yes, sorry. This is which the is what PG they dubbed version. On, on the TV. When they aired it on TV, that's what he said. Because that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that makes it better. <laughs> I'm going to start using that, though. Yeah. Too many melon farmers. (laughs) How many? (laughs) Too many to count, melon farmer. (laughs) God. All right. I'm thoroughly self-amused. I'm out of here. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon.